Wake up call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, hanging out with your sports. Truly means that thing called life. I hope you're having yourselves a fantastic morning starting off your week. Some people are like, Dan, don't talk so loud. It's Monday. And listen, it's a broadcast. I could do what I want. I own my own business. If I want to shout at you, I'm going to do it. So I hope you all are having yourselves a good morning. Wake up. It's Monday. Deal with it. I don't know why Monday got a bad rap. I feel like, you know, I as a broadcaster would love to interview Monday. If Monday could be a person, I'd love to know what Monday thinks about the fact that so many people hate them for no reason, right? It's, I mean, it's the start to the work week, but it's also another day to be alive and have fun. And we are so happy to be here with you as I've gotten to feature a trio of fantastic people in the world of sports, and that being Beth Ann Shapiro Ord of Binghamton, Gabby Holko of Susquehanna, and now Caitlin Hodge Mahalis, a.k.a. Hodge, of the wonderful program that she's been in for many years, King's College Monarchs of Pennsylvania. So very happy to have my good friend here, Hodge, on the show. We have a cool connection that when I was at Marywood and she was at Marywood, I was broadcasting my first ever show that started my career over 19 years ago in MU Courtside, and she was playing the game. So I was broadcasting while she was playing, and now I'm broadcasting while she's coaching. So it's kind of cool to be in this world. Hodge, how are we doing today? Doing well, Dan. Thanks. And happy. That was such a quick answer, you know? <laughs> don't don't treat me like the people that are in the press conferences. Let's try that again, Hodge. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing better now that I'm talking to you, man. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Okay. It's got to be some love here, right? We've had we've been, had a friendship for a long time. You and I, and it's funny, when I think about you, Hodge, I think about a couple things. Number one, I think about the fighter that you are. I think about the determination. And I also think about the fact that you and I are great at serial mashups. So, oh, heck yeah. So <laughs> I, 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 I got to tell you now that, you know, going through being sick the last couple of weeks, the doctor was like, you know, he took all this food away from me and all these things I'm not allowed to eat and whatnot. And he was like, think about grandma food. And I'm like, if I think about my grandmother's food, she ate she ate donuts like all the time. So, so I was like, you know, so then he told me, he's like, you know, eat the soft stuff. I hope he's not listening. But, you know, so I, you know, I've had applesauce and this, that, and whatever. But then I was like, you know what? I need to have some type of sweetness in my life that's still kind of healthy. So I just want you to know, I've been housing big old boxes of frosted flakes lately and Fantastic. and 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 they have new frosted flakes called pandora flakes and it's a connection to avatar and frosted flakes so it's got like blueberry like flavored stuff within it so i just want you to know that my cereal game even being sick is still on point even better than when i was healthy i think so that's good i, I would expect nothing less from you i've been on a uh, big chocolate peanut butter cheerios kick if you haven't had those <laughs> highly recommend yeah you know and so and you know i think it's a sign of a good coach and overall a good person when they know how to mash up cereal i think that that's the real deal here would you agree? It's true. It's how I judge people. <laughs> so I can imagine, and you know what? And and should and you should. My best mashup ever: Honey Nut Cheerios, Rice Krispies, Frosted Flakes. You can't go wrong. So you really can. So with that being said, Caitlin Hajmahal is here with us this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, King's College of Pennsylvania. Let's get this out of the way before we talk about your season. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but you made me do it. And and Hodge doesn't know that I'm going to do this, but. I think that there was a friend that had the same name as you, I could be wrong, who promised me that I was going to have some really awesome 
King's Monarch gear that I don't have yet. So I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but again, you put me in this place, and you're not the only one. DeAndre Smith, New York Giants running back coach, I put him on the spot for many years, and he came through for me down in Jacksonville. So I'm going to ask you, Hodge, where's my Monarch gear? I got enough. I thought I mailed you stuff. <laughs> if not, I, you, I haven't. You said you were uh, small or medium, depending on what it was going on. I had a pair of shorts and a shirt, so I will get back on it then. All right. You know, I mean, listen. I, somebody, somebody along the same name said I did promise that. So, yeah, I got you. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, all I'm saying is you got a few more games to go in the regular season. If I'm going to watch and pay attention to these games, I feel like I should be dressed appropriately. I think that's a fair request. I think that's uh, absolutely doable. So, with that being said, let's hop into the season. We were talking about it off the air, and you, you know, obviously shared with me 10 freshmen on this team. So, you know, a year where you're looking to reload and reconfigure and whatnot, what has that experience been like for you when you have so many new faces? I mean, really, your team is 90, you know, 95% new. So when you see, you know, 10 freshmen on a team and and building this new era of, of your, you know, women's basketball team at King's College, what has the experience been like and how has it challenged you? Yeah, um, I think the other thing, too, on top of it just being 10 first years, you also have the other six returners are all in completely new roles just based on the way things shook out. And we had two key injuries early on, one returner, one freshman, so um, one being a point guard. So that's really just moved a lot of uh, pieces to the puzzle around. But um, as far as experience goes and the year goes, I mean, they're a great team. It makes it easier to get through the the frustrating times of, you know, taking our losses and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't for us. Um, But I think the nice part is we're starting to see all of that work pay off um, because in the beginning you're teaching so much, you know, our staff is having to go all the way back down the beginning of, you know, why we do things, how we do things, what we call things, you know, is different than what they all are used to in high school. So there's a lot of, a lot of teaching every single day. So you're not playing as much, um, and you want to get that right balance of, you know, stopping them when they're playing to make sure they learn the right way, but also letting them and teaching them how to play through mistakes um, is something that, you know, it has been, you know, at the forefront of every practice today, uh, this whole year. But we're, like I said before, we're starting to figure it out. It's starting to come together. Um, we didn't dumb down the schedule at all. If anything, we probably ramped it up a little bit. Um, so we took our losses early, and I really commend our team for not hanging their heads and packing it in when we saw a lot of those early losses because now that we're in conference play, you know, we can control getting into playoffs. It's within our hands, within our our own, you know, if we win, we can get in, and if we don't, we won't. But um, I think that's the nice part to, to be with this team, and the nice side of having 10 first years is they're going to go. They don't know any better. <laughs> So that's a lot of fun, and they're they're truly a fun group. I really enjoy them. And you know, like you said, being in a position where you control your destiny and having so many new players, and then the returners, like you said, being in different roles. So really, the entire team being new in its own way to have the newness of this team, and at the same time, still have the opportunity for the postseason. Just what that's meant to you—that this team has done enough to be in control of their destiny this late in the season. I'm super proud of them. Uh, they just really, really want to get to that level. And I think they understand the history of our program, where they come from, you know, a good basketball wins basketball school. Um, so it's just meant a lot for them to trust 
uh, you know, the process to steal from the 76ers, but they're really trusting in it and they're going out there and doing it. And you can tell with freshmen, they, they, they're still trying to learn where the dorm is. You know, they're still trying to learn how to like get to class and get to the cafeteria on time and all of that good stuff. So for the fact uh, that they haven't given in, I'm super proud because it's so much going on there. These kids haven't had, you know, the, the workload that college athletics, you know, um, requires. They came from, you know, COVID, whether it was in high school, late in their careers or early in their college careers. Um, so our juniors are still sophomores. Our, our seniors are still kind of juniors. Um, and, and with a huge gap in between where they took basically two years off and then had to get back to it. So I know that's the same across the landscape for all of the college athletics that had stuff canceled with COVID. So I'm just super proud for them to to keep writing and try to learn what it is to get back to, you know, the new normal of post COVID where it's not quite the same, but now it's the, the expectation to have a lot more on your plate and there's a lot more freedom of choice. Um, so for them to choose to keep coming back every day, to choose to keep working, to choose to, you know, face those losses and keep working and buying in is, I, it, like I said, all I can say is I'm super proud. Yeah. You know, and, and like you had made mention here with Caitlin Hodge-Mahalis, the head coach of the Kings College of Pennsylvania Monarchs, a women's basketball team, of COVID and what it did to the landscape, what it did to careers, what it did to, you know, just everybody having to not sit and wait because as a coach you could continue to recruit and watch film and whatnot, but you're not playing these games and there was a sense of loss throughout the world and, and you experienced that in many ways as a coach, how, you know, with you have having, you know, gotten a few years in at Kings and one of those years and, and, and beyond that, you know, having to deal with COVID and whatnot, how have you navigated an unprecedented world, which is very strange and really, you know, nobody knew what to do and how to deal with a pandemic in a technological age where so many of us, you know, in this country are used to go, go, go and, you know, basketball's a 24-7, 365-day-a-year sport for coaches and players and whatnot that are dedicated to it. So how have you navigated the waters, and, and what did it teach you to have something totally out of your control take something that you love? I think the biggest thing from a coaching standpoint that we put forward, I put forward with the team, is remembering that, you know, there are things that you have to be responsible for, but you still got to have fun. But this stuff was so scary and unsure. I think a lot of people reevaluated what was necessary and what they were willing to put up with and what they weren't. Um, so now that you get to a point where not everything is dictated, I mean, look at these kids, they were told when they could go to school, when they couldn't, when they could do this, where they could do that, how to do this. Um, and now they get into a college and we all are thrown back into a world where we kind of have a little bit more freedom of choice, but, um, to to see that they're willing to stick to it when they realize you know i don't have to anymore so there's a lot on their plates and understanding like it's my job to remind them of the fun part and remind them that it's okay to fail um to remind them that they get to make choices but that doesn't mean they're free from consequences good or bad um i think that's what's kind of made me reevaluate how we're approaching um you know every day with stuff but we we do so much more fun stuff now just like thursdays or half court shot thursdays just to break some tension thursdays middle of the week you've already had you know two three practices in a game or two um so it's just remembering to have fun and remembering that the important part is now we are able to be together so let's be together and let's enjoy it but also let's work towards you know a productive goal yeah you know and, and having that 
you know, working toward a productive goal, working together. How have you seen the evolution of your team and all of these, you know, new faces kind of come together? Are they ahead of schedule of of what you had anticipated? I know you talked about being really proud of them, but from where you started to see the season to where you are now, deep into the season and heading toward a hopeful postseason, where has this team evolved and what have they shown you at this point? Sure. Um, uh, I, I honestly, they're a little behind what I thought we were going to do early on, but I think that's also when I thought we were going to have, you know, our true point guard. Um, but the, one of the cool things to see, like you're, you're talking in terms of growth is we then had to shove a, a non point guard. Someone obviously is very capable um, to do it, but we gave her the ball and, you're talking about the growth timeline of things. The fact that she and I now have moments in games where she'll look over at me and we'll say the exact same thing at the exact same time. And it's not even like I'm calling a play and she's like, oh, we're going to run 42. It's not even that. It's like something happened in the game and we both look at each other and we say, well, what the heck was that at the exact same time? So those are the cool moments to see them growing up, seeing them, um, you know, getting on the same page as you, which you love from a point guard or anybody on your team. Um, to that same player, we had a huge win over the weekend that we needed. Um, and, and a timeout, she's the one grabbing the clipboard and running it. Um, so I think if you asked me in the beginning of the season where when all that would have clicked, I would have thought sooner. But it's turning out, you know, it's it's happening right on time. <laughs> it's happening when it's supposed to happen because they're, they're starting to take that ownership and they're starting to have that belief. So um, I think that's pretty much where I'm at with that, I would say. Yeah, you know, and, and and having that kind of telepathy with with a player, you know, for you, just go into that a little bit because, I mean, I know there's teammates that talk about that, but having that coach-player look at each other same time, same reaction, saw the same thing, thought the same thing, just what that experience is like and its uniqueness because there's things in this world that cannot be explained. And one of them is when two people can think the exact same thing at the exact same time and have the exact same expression or reaction to it so go a little bit deeper into that and and the osmosis so to speak of of that connection yeah no it gives me like goosebumps it gives me chills when like it happens um because of all that stuff you just said and um it's it's really neat because you have those struggles like before uh this player and i have a great relationship she's very upfront comes into the office and um you know we can have those conversations where it's like hey this is what i need and whether it's me saying that or more often than not it's her saying that um it's such a cool mature thing to be able to do that only makes it easier for me to do my job um so i think that just goes to show the trust we have in each other um because there's so much going on in their lives that's not basketball and I think that's where the trust comes, hopefully, from our players um, into me, where they realize, like, hey, if you just tell me, then I know and I can go from there. I'm not going to get all up, uh, upset about something. Like, no, this is part of your life. Our, I'm supposed to be enhancing your life, enhancing your college experience, enhancing what's going on. So when you get into being in the same, like, mind frame at the exact same time, like I said, it's, it's straight chills. It's awesome. I have it with a couple. I had it with one of our other first-year players. It's happened. Um, you know, during a game, just turns around and just looks at you and says exactly what you're thinking. You're like, wow, that's awesome. Like, that's the point of it. Like, that, it, it goes up there. It's almost as good as a win, you know? And, and honestly, I think it's more so. Um, it's more on the that side as the, it's not trying to catch up to the wins. The wins are trying to catch up to that feeling because that makes it me feel like, you know, all right, I'm doing something right. Yeah, you know, and, and having that connection is is huge. And you being a former player, Hodge, when you have those connections, do you feel like through coaching, 
you are, I mean, I know it's a, it's a different chapter of your life as a coach as opposed to a player, but building those bonds, those deep-rooted connections with your student-athletes, do you feel like in a way you still have that connection to the court in its own uniqueness, so to speak? I try to. I think that's the one thing that I do flat out say to our players is the I've been on a billion teams. It's not just basketball, you know, playing three sports through high school, three sports through college. Um, I try to say, hey, I understand, you know, where that's going. And I try to still think of it through a player's mind of, all right, well, how would I react to this? Like, I, I was always somebody who did not do well when I wasn't told, like, I, uh, what to do or that I was doing something right or doing something wrong. I always needed to know. So I try to hype everybody up and catch them doing right or try to catch everybody um, whenever I can in the moment because I, I thought of it as a player of like, oh, no, I need to know right now because otherwise I'm going to try to change. I was a people pleaser, so I wanted to do things right. So I try to do that um, with our players as much as possible. And I don't know if you know it helps or it doesn't, but it's so far getting us close to where we want to be. So we're going to try to keep rolling with that. Yeah, you know, we look at at the time that we're talking here with Caitlin Hajmahalis, uh, the King's College of Pennsylvania Monarchs women's basketball head coach, and seven and fifteen overall, but six of your seven wins have come in conference. And we all know it. Listen, it comes down to conference. Those wins mean more because they can give you that postseason berth and that opportunity. With six of your seven wins coming within the conference of the MAC Freedom, just bring me into that piece of it. That yes, you know the record you'd like to be a little bit better, but at the same time, almost every single one of your wins has come in the MAC Freedom, which is still giving you an opportunity to have a berth in the postseason. Yeah, I, we joke about it. The record's not for me. Like I, I don't care what my overall record is. I don't even know. If you ask me what my career record is, I don't know, and I really don't care because that it, it's not about me. So when we look at putting together our schedule, um, I really – we don't go after teams that uh, we can roll over or are really going to give it to. We want to go after teams that challenge us. We want to go after teams that are going to get us ready for conference play because we had two teams nationally ranked, you know, in the conference. It, our, team, our, our conference is one that if you're winning and you're doing well, you can get in that large bid, you know, to go to the tournament. Obviously, we're not in that conversation now, but we're in such a good area for basketball in conference, in region. Um, in the just northeast there's so many good programs and i want our players to experience that on every level whether it's cool venues whether it's um you know nationally ranked teams whether it's you know in their hometowns getting them to go back and play in front of their home crowds that's the whole point of it because that gets them ready for the the conference play everything that boils down to it is trying to win that conference championship and you can't win that unless you get in um, so everything is to prepare us for that. And I think that's what our players are starting to see right now is, okay, we know it was tough, but it's, we're starting to click. We're starting teams. We played the first go around back in uh, November and December. We're playing them in January and February and we're a completely different team. And I don't think that would have happened if we would have had easy wins. Yeah. And like you said, you know, scheduling and I, and I can appreciate and respect that so much. Like you said, the record's not, you know, for me, it's not about me. I want to play those games non-conference that are going to challenge us to get us ready for conference play. So despite having you know losses in those games and, and playing a team like University of Scranton in the cross-county challenge, who was ranked 10th and 12th in certain polls at the time nationally, when you 
have those games in non-conference, and like you say, it helps to develop your team. How did you see your team grow and develop through non-conference play this season specifically that gave you those signs of, okay, you know what, when we get into conference, at least we went through this, we saw this, I saw this player evolve from here to here. What are some of those pieces that you look back on non-conference play and say, I'm happy I scheduled these games because this happened? I mean, that Scranton game was one of them early on. Um, we had just a, a slew of really good games in the first three weeks, two weeks even of the season. Um, and that, that Scranton game, I think they have that aura about them, right? They're nationally ranked. They're usually playing far into the post, like NCAA tournament. Yeah. Um, and then you go out there and then you play against them. And we were playing very poorly, but it was still within striking distance at half. Like I think it was like 10 or 12 points or so, something along those lines. And then you can see them be like, oh, they're not this huge, you know, monster that you're going against. Like, they're another college basketball team. And I, at those point in times, our team, you know, I'm a big rules. I give them rules, and then I let them play within them. It's not, I don't want robots. I want people who can, you know, read, react, and kind of take the concepts and apply them. I think those games early on where you're going against, you know, Scranton's, you're going against, um, you know, DeSales when we played uh, early on in our conference play. We played them before finals. Um they, they show you how to capitalize on mistakes and they show you that, you know, if you make them, good teams are going to be able to attack that and use it against you. So we had those moments when we're playing them where it's like, oh, no, it's this team. And then we get in there we're like, guys, we're doing fine. If we would just follow the rules, if we would just finish this play, if we would just have this few turnovers, you know, we can we can get to that level at some point. So those were the two that I know really stick out. We also had a tournament down in Florida that uh, we ended up driving to Florida because our flights got canceled. <laughs> it was right after Christmas. Yeah. So we, uh, I, I raced everybody in the Philadelphia airport for the last 15 passenger van. And I decided, you know what, we're going to drive. We're going to do this. Let's go. Um, but once we got down there, obviously the drive itself over two days is a bonding experience. But we then faced two really good teams down there. And the fact that we almost won on that first day against a really good team from Minnesota, um, I saw different things click about, they learned how to be a team before they, they would just kind of say it. But, you know, are we leaving the locker room at the right time, like all together? Or is it some of us going out and then some of us going out and some of us going out? That stuff started to change. Um, they started to speak up in the locker room about, you know, what their standards are for each other. And it's not me in the locker room saying it. It's when they started to realize, okay, this is kind of what we're talking about. And they took ownership of it. So those are those little turning points, I think, with the with a young class that you you see those like, OK, the light bulb's starting to click a little bit. Maybe we're going to get this in time, you know, for the second go around a conference play. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, getting down to Florida and, and getting to have that bonding experience and, and be together, you know, having to drive. I want to get into the story of being in the foot race to get the last 15 person van. Like bring me into that, because, again, you know, I said on the show today, I don't just have incredible guests today. I have people that I would not want to be on the other side of. That's why they're on my team. Okay, that's why I have Hodge. That you don't. So, but I mean, this is my thing is I would not want to see you in the airport. I want to be running with you, not against you. So I want I want to discuss what it was like for you cuz listen, as nice as I am, people that know me know me. I am also a cold face killer when it comes down to stuff like this. So, you know, it's, it's a diff, it's a switch. It's like Italian, Hispanic. Yeah, we make food, we dance, we have a good time. But then we got that other side. So 
bring me into 15 person van there's one left and how you won the race uh so let me set the scene for you a little bit to get to that point so we flew out of the philadelphia airport and for people who don't know wilkes is about two hours from there our flight was supposed to leave i think at like 7 30 in the morning we're supposed to start boarding at seven o'clock or 6 50 i believe so we left wilkes at 2 a.m drove the two hours to philly got there at four and then it was about 6 15 we all got texts of hey your flight's canceled so now pick up where you're talking about I didn't have to do much because thankfully my very tall um, assistant, he's probably like a good, <laughs> a good six, eight, probably. Um, we called him and his wife was a gem. Candace was a gem. And she was the second things got um, canceled. She and I are looking up every single, are there other flights? What's getting canceled? How are we getting to where we're going? Do we have any other options? So as we're running down the hallway, you know, there's a whole pack and we're just kind of speed walking because we don't want to be those people yet, you know, sprinting through the airport. Yeah. Um, but I get a hold of my assistant. His name's Alan. We call him Yenjai. And then I was like, Yenjai, we're, we're trying to get to A17 or wherever the service desk was. He's like, well, I'm at A16. I'll get there. <laughs> so we start speed walking, trying to meet up with him. He's already there waiting. Nobody's there yet. But then there's this mask coming behind him and he just like steps in like the undertaker going over the top ropes to get to the front of the line. I do my little jog at the last step. I go under the belt and he just or under the uh, the band and he just steps aside and all these other people are behind him. are like, what what just happened? So try to use a little more craft of the mind than trying to physically fight anybody. But <laughs> I, I was then talking with this very kind woman who I felt bad for because we were the first of a lot of unhappy people. Um, and I think it was hard trying to explain to her. Because we're like, oh, well, we can put you on standby. We can put two of you going to here, two of you going to here. I was like, I have a traveling party of 23, ma'am. That's not going <laughs> to... That's not going to work. Um, so then while we're doing that, we're still looking up flights or, and enterprise rental cars and whatnot. And we decide to ditch it. We don't do standby because there's no chance anything's going to happen. So then we yeah. start racing to all of the um, airport rental services and what we can do. So we got the 15-passenger van on the phone, but they won't let us get anything else. And we have 23, so we need literally anything else. The next closest vans are out in D.C., so we just, my, my assistant and I, uh, Yanjai, we just book it into a car. We get into the shuttle, go around, get to the Enterprise. We try three different times to rent two other vehicles, but the whole, you need a different license with a different credit card. So then I can't use the school card because it has, it's already attached to my license. A whole bunch of other stuff. We're just traveling around, running around while our team is just, you know, pissed off at the gate because they don't <laughs> think we're going to Florida. Yeah. So definitely an adventure. So how did it all work? How'd you get the other vehicle? So I there. So if, in case you didn't know, you need to have a different license with a different card. But if you go to a different, um, I guess, office on campus. So like in the Philly Airport, Enterprise, Alamo, and National are together. So I can't rent rent from any of those. I have to go find a different one if I want to use the King's card to be able to do it. So. Um, I got one from like enterprise and then me and my assistant each rented one from two other places and we eventually got out of there at about 10 30. So it was a, a long time of trying to make reservations on phones. Cars aren't there. It was a lot of logistical <laughs> nightmare things. <laughs> and you got it done. It all comes together. Bring me into telling the team we're still going to Daytona. So 
they're still laying, they're literally just sleeping up by the gate that we were originally at. Um, and we actually had another, uh, a mother of the player who was on a plane got deplaned. And we said, hey, if you end up anything getting wrong, we could use another driver. Um, so she texts us when we get everything going. But we get up to the gate. The players are laying there and kind of gather them around. And we're like, hey, um, tell your families this is what's going on. We're, we're going to drive. We, we had to get all this other stuff. Apologize for not telling you sooner, but we didn't want to tell you anything until we had it, you know, guaranteed and keys in hand and whatnot. Um, so I think at first they were like, are you kidding me? This is what we're doing. Um, but as it got going, um, it, you know, obviously splitting up into the cars, having a good time, who's DJ, who's doing what, who's in what car. Um, they ended up, you know, I think having a blast and realizing, you know, they're not going to be able to go on an airport without thinking about that for a long time. <laughs> yeah, no. So, I mean, and, and the thing is, I mean, the airport is already an adventurous place. And I have slept in an airport, which I would not tell anybody to do. I, I feel like whatever purgatory is, it's <laughs> it's pretty much like sleeping in an airport. And I slept in Reagan International Airport in D.C., and um, I know, like, sometimes when I'm standby, my mom goes, hey, that's the world. That's stand." I was like, no, Ma, I'm not sleeping in an airport. Like, I, I can't do it anymore. Like, it, there's no way that I would ever put myself in that position. So I commend you for the work that you did and your entire staff and, uh, you know, everybody that worked together to get it done. So once you got down to Daytona and you got to celebrate this after Christmas opportunity to play the game but also be in warmer weather, how surreal is it? Because I get to do this by the grace of God, a lot, and I love it, but it's like you're in upstate New York or Pennsylvania, wherever you may be, so you and I are both in the Northeast, it's 12 degrees outside, it's ice, it's snow, it's ridiculous, and then you land, and there's palm trees and sun, and it's like 75 degrees outside, and you're like, is this real, or am I in the Matrix? Like, do you ever have those moments? (laughs) Yeah, we, um, I think a lot of it started on the drive down. Um, you get start seeing those, you know, the, the billboards for the south of the border. And we have a bunch of kids who haven't seen that before, know what that is. So they're like, well, what's going on? We're in South Carolina. You start seeing, like you said, some of the, the palm trees or some of the other, um, you know, stuff that tells you you're in the south. And they're like, wait, the south of the border? Like, can we stop? I was like, no, we have to get, we have to get going. But then once we got there they're walking everywhere they're sitting outside they're like the second we get there we're gonna go put our like toes on the sand and uh do all that kind of stuff and so you did get that moment once we got there we we drove with the windows down to practice because we got there at two o'clock and had to practice at three because of the schedule um so they're like well let's put the windows down um so we're able to do that and then in between we made sure we gave them time to you know go sit out at the pool go do whatever they needed to because they were crammed in a car for the whole time, but they're also now not in 20-degree weather. So that was a nice, once you did get there, it's like, okay, this is what we're doing it. This is the experience, and, and it's awesome. Yeah, that coming here from Caitlin Hajmahalis, head coach, Kings College at Monarchs Women's Basketball, head coach in Pennsylvania. Before I let you go, you got a bunch of games coming up here in the MAC Freedom. And with that being said, you have a trio of games before we get in to tournament time and you have the opportunity to move up there's some close pieces here you're six and seven at the time we're talking arcadia seven and six misericordia is eight and four so just bring me into i know DeSales and stevens are, are safe bets here to move forward but you have uh, a trio of games left against lycoming stevens and wilkes 
and you're going to have two of those games at home, one on February 8th this Wednesday, then February 11th on Saturday, and you'll finish off the regular season on the road on Valentine's Day on Tuesday, February 14th. Bring me into, as we talked about before, to come full circle in the MAC Freedom, being the keepers of your own destiny and knowing that you're not far out of an opportunity to get in here to the postseason for the MAC Freedom. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's the fun part is they're all very good teams that we're going to go up against um, coming down the stretch. But I, the thing that I want our young guys to start getting into is you protect home court. That's something that we haven't done a great job of. Um, we've actually won better on the road. Um, so I think this week with having two, like you said, that are going to be home this week, we can do a good job of going against a Lycoming team that just upset um, the team that's right in the, in the mess with us. So they're very dangerous. And you've got Stevens, who was nationally ranked for a while, um, very well-coached team. And then you've got Wilkes, again, who we had a very, um, you know, where you got the local rivalry going on being a, a half mile from, from each other. So I think the going into this last week is just being sure of who we are and doing what we do, no more, no less, and we should be in a good position for that. Um, so, and you got senior day on Saturday, so you're going to have that celebration. You're going to have a couple of people back in the gym, um, celebrating that. So I think it's being able to appreciate all that, but understand the point is to win, to try to get into playoffs. And, you know, I believe in this group and we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. Yeah. You know, and having that faith and having that belief and that positivity, you know, it's something that I'm not surprised in from you, Hodge. Are you seeing it from your student athletes, you know, having fun, enjoying the game? Are they starting to show you on their face like, hey, coach, we got this. We can do this. Yeah, this, this last two, two, three weeks, it's really gotten to that point where because I, I was I was telling them, hey, everything's in front of us still because we we played to sales. We played Stevens. We played Miz early on. I was like, guys, those are games that, you know, if we're doing well, you know, you still have to go in there and do well and perform in order to win because they're the top of the league. So everything is still in front of us. We control it. And I think early on you had a handful that, you know, believed and were on board with it. But now that it, they're starting to see what, the, you know, the staff is seeing, now that they, they've gotten the results, because a lot of times now they want the results in order to believe, but you got to believe in order to get the results. I think they're starting to see that and starting to buy in a lot more. They were super locked in this weekend. I was so proud of them. Um, so I expect that going forward. So I think it's there's, there's more... Before, I think they were believing because, like, all right, coach is saying that, sure. But now it's the – they're saying it. They're they're going on it. They're buying into the whole process of it. Um, I'll leave you one story with it. We're going into the last game, and we're talking about you can't do one thing before the next. Like, it takes what it takes in order to get there. You can't be, you know – running down court and then coming to a a jump stop turning and passing all at the same time like you have to do one thing before the next if you want to do it right and I was joking with them I was like if you're making a cake you can't go from like flour and eggs to icing that's not how it works there's more steps than that um so they they were joking about it and I was like all right well if you're if you're that I'm telling you right now I'll make you a cake if you guys win and you buy into doing it this way so the whole game we're, we're going back and forth it was a good game and um Every time on the bench, like, oh, she must want cake. She must want cake. So what am I doing as I'm talking to you? I am finishing up their cake that I owed them for them buying into doing one thing before the next. So I think they're bought into it. If it takes cakes, I will bribe them right now, hardcore, (laughs) with no shame. You know, we started the show with bribing, and we ended the show with bribing. So I think it's great, Beth Ann, to to, uh, Caitlin here. What type of cake are you making? I want to know. See, now, and here's the thing. I'm in the studio, and nine times out of ten, 
I do the show in the studio before I've like eaten, right? My thing afterwards uh-huh. is like, okay, go, you know, get some breakfast and whatnot. So I'm always hungry in the studio and it always, I'm and, I, and I'll talk about food and it just gets me so much more hungry. But paint me the picture, Hodge. You and I have a friendship that has a lot to do, like we started it off with food. So I want to know the cake that you're making, what's in it, like what is what is the flavor, what what's going on? Because I, for some reason, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I want to be more hungry than I am right now. We're going a little devil's food cake and a little vanilla icing, so we hit you know both you know if you're chocolate and vanilla lovers. I've got some sprinkles, and I think I gotta have something else in there that I can probably throw on top uh, to keep it festive, but very basic, very boring. Um, for this go around, but if they they want something else, I make a pretty good a pretty banging lemon cake from uh, you know Mama Hodge's recipe book. So I got a couple of things up the sleeve, but it being the Monday morning before the office and practice day, I just went cheap and did the devil's food cake right out of the box. See, but here's the thing though, you made it right. You could have just went oh, yeah. and bought it, but you made it. And oh that- no, you got to make it. That's the difference. You can anybody can buy that, but it's the it's the time that everyone says, "Oh, it tastes like love." It's the time because time is love. Right. You know, and, and I agree agree with that wholeheartedly. When it is, as my mom always says, it's made with love. So. You know, and my mom did that. Like, she invited me over to dinner a couple nights ago, and she's like, oh, I'll take care of the dog for a little bit. You got some games to go to. Just come over for dinner. You can, you know, come get the dog, and I'll just hang out with her for the day. So I come over, and my mom, you know, it was like a couple hours, and she's like, oh, what do you want for dinner? And, you know, we decided on chicken. I get to the house. My mom has baked cookies, and I was like, when did you find the time to, like, do that? She baked the cookies, didn't let me know she was doing it. And then she goes, do you like those? She said, I know for Christmas that you wanted to make lemon and pistachio balls that we typically make because my grandmother used to make them. And she's like, I made the lemon balls because we didn't make them for Christmas. And so it's like that one act was like, how did you do it? And then she remembered at Christmas I wanted to make them. And she made them now because she didn't want me to go without them because it's something we were going to make together. And I was like... Okay, Ma, like, you've gotten the Mom of the Every Year Award, but this is ridiculous. You know what I mean? It's like... Absolutely. Moms are superheroes, man. Yeah, they are. So today, you as the mom of this team, Hodge, you're the superhero. So shout out to you and the Devil's Food Cake. Do not belittle it by saying, "Ah, I went boring. No, you made it with love. You're bringing it to the team. And all I want to know is, where's my piece? But you know what? I'm going to wait for my clothes, and then I'll get my piece of cake. So I need to get the apparel first. Yeah. (laughs) So with that being said, Caitlin Hajmahalas, Kings College Monarchs, women's basketball head coach, couple games at home, one on the road, and a hopeful berth into the postseason. You know that I'll be praying and sending you my well wishes and hopes, Hodge. I look forward to it. I'll be paying very close attention. And I hope two things. I hope I get to congratulate you on making the postseason. And that means my second thing, that your team gets some more cake. So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. I appreciate it so much. I hope you're feeling better. And uh, as always, great catching up with you whenever we can. I'll get that gear in the mail ASAP. All right. Sounds good. And and listen, I appreciate everything that you do. So thank you for uh, your hard work and your dedication and determination. We'll have you back on the show soon. And uh, in the meantime, go Monarchs. Yes, be well, Dan. Bye. Take care.